Good morning, church. It is a blessing for me to stand before you today to read the word of God. I'm blessed I see one of my sons and a grandson here this morning. My son-in-law was here and he disappeared. Oh, oh, wow. Is that my whole family? Wow. Y'all meet my family. Some there, some over there. I am blessed, truly blessed. Let me show I got all my pages together. This week we celebrate the power to make a joyful noise by finding strength to sing during struggles and storms of life. Faith gives us eyes to see the sovereign grace of Jesus as it both frees us and forms us to sing through the problems and pain of life. Join me in reading how the prophet Habakkuk was shaped by the song of lament from Psalms 13 to sing during a storm. Scriptures are Habakkuk 1, 1 through 3, uh, Habakkuk 2, 12, and 3, 17 through 19. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. method. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Last Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Now responsive reading. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Amen. Thank you, Carl. One of my other sons. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I, I'm sad he didn't call me out too. He calls me Pastor Son. I'm grateful for that. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open them, your phones. We're going to be looking at Habakkuk in Psalm 13. We're going to be skipping around uh, through Scripture. Uh, and as we approach our, the Word of God today, uh, I'm going to ask you, to hear this sermon for somebody else, not for yourself, if you know Jesus. I'm going to ask you to hear this sermon for someone that's going through brokenness, someone that's carrying a burden beyond their ability, someone that has more questions than answers. I'm going to ask you to hear, to give hope to the heart 
of someone that lives in your neighborhood, someone that's in your family, someone that goes to school with you. This series that we're doing, we're celebrating the songs of Scripture, and today you'll see how we're setting the paradigm, how the songs of Scripture actually shape the saints within the Scripture so that through the saints, God shapes the world. And we live in a time that's desperate for hope. And you'll see in the structure of lament, people are stuck in the valley of despair and of death. And God's design is for his people who know him, who have been comforted by him, to be his agents of hope in dark days, to be bearers of light in the valley of the shadow. It's the basic paradigm that we see all through Scripture, but most crystallized in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 7. Basically, it says this. God comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others. I need you in a desperate world that's hungry for hope to allow the song of Scripture to shape you so that you can be a bearer of hope, of light, of life, of love. This week, our congregation was just slammed by a sudden loss. One of our deacons, Triple Furman, dying at 55. But beyond that, we know that that is just a, the, the moment that takes the breath out of us that forces us into this place of more questions and answers, right? We know that that's a place where we can actually identify with a world who is hungry for faith more than fear. Uh, the, the song that we sang, Steadfast, you may not know this, it was actually written by someone that was in the dark, dark days of depression and how the steadfast love of the Lord met him in the midst of that. And now we sing it to shape us, okay? The song we're gonna sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it actually comes from a lament. Lamentations chapter three. And it shapes us and gives us strength. Friends, hear me, we're gonna pray. Someone needs you to give them hope. I'm asking you, to hear this sermon, to be shaped by it for them. The world needs a church now. You are the church. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word to shape us, how the songs of Scripture are designed to form our hearts, to lift our eyes, Lord, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would put on everyone's heart in here someone that needs hope. Someone that needs light. Someone that knows love, needs to know love. I pray that you would show your love in this time. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would ambush us. We do not want to just be inspired. We want to be transformed. Because ultimately we know, Lord, that you are the life. You are the light. You are the love. You yourself are the hope that we need. So meet us freshly now so that we can faithfully be your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen.
So I've been, uh, I make too many book rec- recommendations. This is a simple, basic leadership book that I recommend to you. Uh, it's called The 100X Leader. Uh, if you want to read it, I will buy it for you if you agree to talk about it with me after you read it, okay? So that's the deal I make with people. Um, it's a phenomenal book, but they use this paradigm uh, all through the book of a Sherpa. You know what a Sherpa is? A Sherpa is somebody that when you want to do your mountain climbing or when you want to climb Everest, these are the folks that guide you. They're the ones that gather the equipment. They're the ones that are experts going up the mountain. They're the ones uh, that you can't do it without it, without them. Uh, These are your leaders. These are your guides. These are your best friends. These are your shepherds. Uh, And this is a picture of a Sherpa going up Mount Everest. And you may have seen this story. It made international news. Uh, Reuters is the first uh, place to release it on May 12th this year, or May 18th, excuse me. Uh, There was a Sherpa uh, that saved a life in a really unique fashion. So there's actually been uh, more than 12 deaths on Everest since the spring climbing the spring climbing season. Spring has come to Everest. You can look for a whole heck of a lot more cold and snow. Like it's just a cold place. It's the tallest mountain in the world, over 29,000 feet. More than 12 people have died this year, and five are missing. They've only been climbing since the beginning of May, right? So this Sherpa, he is hired by somebody to take him to the summit. And they go through training, they go through all this experience together to prepare. They're climbing, and there's a place up on the, on the mountain, on Everest, that's actually known as the death zone. And if you've read John Krakauer's book, Krakauer's I say it, Krakow, yeah. Just called Everest, I can say that. All right. <laughs> he can't pronounce the name, that's funny. Just kidding, that was a joke, yeah. That's all right, I said loosen up a little bit. Then you're familiar with the death zone. This is the most dangerous place uh, that you, as a climber, you're transitioning uh, from like a stage three to the stage four part where you're going to the summit. Uh, You just have to be really intentional about your energy level, your oxygen level, uh, how much you're expending, the trajectory that you're going. Uh, And they're going through the death zone. True story. And this Sherpa that had been hired out by a man sees somebody that's frozen, holding on frozen to the rope. And all the other hikers and all the other Sherpas are passing this person. Because if you stop in the death zone, there's a real high likelihood that you yourself aren't going to make it out. It's actually wiser to just go to the summit, if you're concerned about yourself, to go to the summit, to take your pictures to claim just an elite status of being someone that's summited Everest, and by the time you get back down to the death zone, the person you passed is dead. But this Sherpa is hiking, leading, and he sees this guy and he can't move past him. And he decides that he's going to tell the person that's hired him, there's something more important than getting to the summit. There's something more important than getting to the top. We've got to save this guy. They peel him, they enter into the death zone, they peel him off the rope, and this Sherpa talked to the guy who paid him thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars for this hike. And they were going back down. He carried him for a mile and a half, six hours, until he got another Sherpa that was coming up to help him carry him down until they get to the, a certain part of the base camp where a helicopter could come save the man. This idea of Sherpa leadership. 
where you enter into the death zone so other people can have life, this is the essence of lament. And it, to carry the, 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 the parallel forward in the illustration, many people are stuck in the death zone. And they need Sherpas that have hope, that are living for a greater ambition than just getting to a top of a mountain, than just making their own name great, than just accomplishing a goal. Something's more important, right? It's human life. Hearts that are designed to have hope in life and to not be frozen to death in a death zone. I mean, could you imagine being so focused on ambition that you see someone dying beside you and you just keep going to the top of it? Yeah, you can imagine it. The church is called to be shaped by lament so that we can enter into uh, the death of the world to bring life and despair of others. So lament, lament, uh, we're gonna define it, we're gonna look at it, uh, we're gonna see a back example of it, how he points to Jesus uh, in the midst of it and calls us to be uh, Sherpas in our, in our spiritual engagement of life in the world. Uh, lament in Texas music, lament is a song. There's not a whole lot of lament in Texas music occasionally, uh, you know, Will loved his cowboy laments, right? Uh, there's some good cowboy laments. You, you get some, some sad ba- ballads about loss of love and life and friends and, you know, fun times and parties, you know. But generally, our Texas music is like uh, the road goes on forever and the party never ends. We don't actually ever enter into the brokenness of it. Yeah. Robert Earl King, anyone? Oh, yeah. But real blues music living in Memphis for five years, I know real blues music, uh, is exemplified by a guy named Taj Mahal. Maybe you've listened to Taj Mahal. Uh, he has a song called Cakewalk into Town. And, and the, the, the chorus line is, I got the blues so bad one time it put my face in a permanent frown. You heard this? But now I'm feeling so much better I can cakewalk into town. Yeah. <laughs> Table for one? All right. <laughs> Okay, I thought for sure by the end of that, I'd have like people singing with me. It's like, I didn't know I was signing up for a solo. I didn't know that. I'm okay with that. All right. Leaving a man out to dry. But this idea of having the blues so bad, this is a lament. And laments in scripture are actually the most prevalent song. The number one song type. Genre in scripture is lament. There's a whole book called Lamentations. Wow. Jesus lamented multiple times. But of the 150 Psalms that are in the Bible, over 70 of them are laments, individual laments, corporate laments. And these songs are designed to shape us It's how we live in a fallen world when we have more fear than faith and we need fuel just to keep going. Uh, The the world is looking for language of how to cope. We have, you notice this, we have longer life expectancy in our country than ever before and a higher suicide rate because people aren't able to really engage the brokenness of life. They're getting stuck in the death zone. 
So the shape of lament, since it's VBS week, I thought we could do some fun. You have your two hands, if you are able, put them together in a V. I'm asking all of you to do this. All right, and since my wife's left-handed, we're going to honor the left-handed people. Because right-handed people often dominate conversations, and we overlook the power of lefties. You've got a V. This is your basic form of a mint. And on your left side, wiggle your left fingers. Uh, we move from this place of, of, of life, of, of, of blessingness. And, and in a V, you travel down into the place of brokenness. And in that place of brokenness, the valley, I don't see everybody doing a V out there. There we go. Hands where I can see them. Nobody move, nobody gets hurt. So, and then the end of lament, it ends, wiggle your right hands. It goes like this. Now, now think about this. Think about it in the form of what Christ has done. Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, left-handed, he didn't consider equality with God something to grasp, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's your valley, Right? But the gospel doesn't leave us in the grave. The suffering of Jesus is not the end of the story. It takes us up to resurrection, an exalted place. Wiggle your right hand. That is the trajectory of lament. Now, thank you for your participation. There'll be one more hand thing. But this, this, isn't, just, this isn't just the trajectory of the work of Jesus. This is all through Scripture. I mean, even in our stained glass window I was looking at during our worship, that's Paul in prison. You know how Paul got out of prison in uh, Acts 16? He sang songs. The hymns that he sang actually broke forth the prison and found, he found release. It's a story of Ruth in the Old Testament. She moved from this place of, oh, what an exciting life I'm married to, this brokenness of death and despair. And she was met by Boaz down in the valley and brought up to an exalted place. And we could, go, we could look at all kinds of stories in Scripture and personal testimony, but, but lament takes us on this V-shaped journey. And basically, we can define lament as it's a bridge. It's a bridge that moves us from brokenness to blessing. It, it, it leads us from a sense of lostness to go home to the lavish love of our Heavenly Father. Uh, it's true that the place that is most fertile with life in the mountains is actually the valleys. You know that? But you got to come out of that to really see things grow. So let, first thing, we're going to see two things. The first thing we're going to see today is we're going to see Learn, we're going to learn to see with lament. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to flip back to Psalm 13, um, and then we're going to move forward uh, to where we're going. Learning to see with lament. There's just a bigger uh, picture of life than just reaching the summit or just getting stuck in our suffering. So Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have the sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy exalt over me? Four times in two verses, he's repeating how long. He is stuck in the valley, in the despair. David is writing this. Uh, and the, he wrote it for the choir master. I love Ron's preaching in traditional. He calls it the Blues Brothers Come to Town. That's King David and the choir master, if you're wondering who the Blues Brothers are. Uh, but he's stuck in his despair. 
stuck in his difficulty. He's stuck in the death zone. And he has this pivotal moment. He, he, he looks back, or actually he turns to God and he prays boldly, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. He says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, right? And lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am forsaken. Now look at the last two verses. But I, can everybody say that with me? But I, but I, he just said, but in church, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Every beautiful picture has a contrast between light and dark. Absolutely every single beautiful scene that you've looked at has a combination between dryness or wetness, the beach and the ocean, uh, the mountains and the valleys, if, you, if you've looked out there. Everything that has beauty has this set of contrasts. And learning to lament helps us see the bigger picture. Now, one more thing I want you to do with your hands. This is the last time, I promise. I want you to take your hands, make two circles. Everybody, put them on your eyes. Now, you see tunnel vision. This happens to you and to many people when we go through pain and problems in life. Our perspective is stuck. We don't want to see contrast. We escape. And we myoptically focus on things that isolate, things that medicate. I don't see you doing, I'm looking out and I'm not seeing a few of y'all. There you go. <laughs> I can still see a little, but now take your hands away. Lament helps us to see beyond our brokenness, beyond our hurt, to see the hope that we have in heaven. The pain of life oftentimes leads you, it drives you to something greater. And lament gives us language so that we can lift our eyes from our loss, lift our eyes from our longings, lift our eyes from our pain, our problems, our struggle, and our suffering in this fulcrum, but I, or yet I will see with Habakkuk, see some greater hope in heaven. It moves us from how long to how great thou art. From how long to hallelujah? Because we go with Jesus into the valley of the shadow and he doesn't leave us there. This is the way lament helps us see the bigger story, anchoring our hearts in a greater reality. Who do you know? Who do you know that needs to see beyond the blinders of their pain and their problems. See, Habakkuk was a prophet. This is the next point. Learning to sing with lament. Singing in the storm. He was a prophet, and he prophesied. He had such a unique way. I love Habakkuk. If you read it, I encourage you to read it later today. It really will take you about 9 to 13 minutes. Okay, Three chapters. <clears throat> And he is prophesying during a very difficult time for Israel. And it looks like the enemies, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, are going to totally overtake the people of Israel. The God's people internally, they're all rebellious, they're rotting out in their holiness. Externally, they're just being collapsed upon by their enemies. 
in the, the prophecy of Habakkuk is actually a series of questions and answers. He has this divine dialogue with God. And the framework for his dialogue is Psalm 13. He actually follows a lament in the language of lament. And he demonstrates someone who has been shaped by a song of Scripture. And this is the whole paradigm we're trying to set in the month of June. Last week, Becky did a tremendous job talking about Psalm 128. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, right? Singing of the steadfast love of God. This, this song, she talked about Jesus getting ready to just to war against sin and how that song shaped him to give him strength to go to the cross. But even then, even in Scripture, it's greater than that. King Jehoshaphat, when he sent his army into battle, had them sing the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. In fact, the choir went out ahead of the army. Don't believe me? 2 Chronicles chapter 20, specifically 21. Or Ezra, in a time of restoration, when they are rebuilding the temple, they sang that song, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Singing, get this, is actually a matter of life and death. And God wants to shape his people with his songs, specifically Habakkuk. Now, verses 1 to 3, we're going to go back to Habakkuk, and uh, I want you to see how he starts. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, uh, the Masa's burden, it's a beautiful, there's so much richness here. One day I want to do a, a six-week series on Habakkuk. Not now. Six minutes. He says, oh, Lord, how long will I cry for help? How long? And you'll not hear me. He's actually shaped by Psalm 13 to look at the brokenness of life and ask the hard questions. Not to medicate, not to just scroll for hope. I mean, you know how many people we have scrolling for hope right now? Scrolling for strength? Scrolling for an idea? Scrolling for significance? And Habakkuk was scrolling. Where'd my pocket go? Scrolling through Scripture. And boom, the lament landed on his heart. And he enters into that valley. But he didn't stay there. Because when we're honest with the pain and problems of our life in the context of the promises of a faithful God, then we move from hunger to hope, from struggling to strength, from suffering to singing. The, the center fulcrum for Habakkuk, if you look at chapter 2 in verse 4, he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. That's people that try to make it through things on their own. But he says the righteous will live by faith. And this was a cry of uh, the reformers, but long before Luther and Calvin and Knox and others, it was an anthem of the New Testament. This is what Paul says in Romans 1.17, that's the power of the gospel, that we have faith in times of friction and even fracturing, that we see something greater. He also, uh, Galatians 3.11 and in Hebrews, chapter, the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 celebrates this faith that, that sees something greater than our struggle. And in chapter 2, verse 14 is, is what 
Habakkuk saw, the larger story, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk presently sees his hard times, but with the psalmist, he's able to sing and have faith in God's promises. God has been faithful. God will be faithful. And where does he land in chapter 3? Uh, I love, I love, I just got to read verse two. It wasn't, it's not gonna be on your screen, but the one major position, this whole last chapter of Habakkuk is a song. Um, but he says, I heard the report of you of your work. O Lord, do I fear, listen to this, in the midst of the years, revive it, your work. In the midst of the years, make it known, your faithfulness. In wrath, remember mercy. And he moves up and he has this powerful climactic song that he ends with. Look at verse 17. Though the, uh, actually, I'm going to go to 16, and we didn't read this, but the end of 16, he says, Yet I, this is the same fulcrum of focus that we saw in Psalm 13, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, it doesn't look like there's going to be a harvest. Though there's no fruit on the vines, it looks like there's going to be a famine. There's no produce of olive oil. It's a major economic staple. It looks like things are still going to be pretty bad economically. The flock is cut off from the fold. We seem isolated. And there are no herd in the stalls. We're probably going to go hungry. Yet I. Can you say yet I? Yet I. Yet I. You know what I'm doing just real quick before we read this? In the front of my Bible, I took a Yeti sticker, and I just took yet, and I ripped it, and I made a little dash, and I. I've had this here for a long time. Because I have to have that fulcrum in my life. And I know I walk with a lot of people who need it. A lot of people who need it validated. The pain's real. The suffering's real. The loss is real. real. The fear is real. Yet I, yet we will hope in something greater. And I've walked with a lot of you where you've had to borrow my hope. Where you didn't have enough strength to hope for yourself. Yet I, as a Sherpa, and I've had several of you that I've had to extract hope from you. My oxygen tank was dry, frozen to the rope in the death zone, on my own, done. But someone out of Sherpa care and leadership met me, yet I, have oxygen of the gospel. It's God's sovereign grace, and I want you to have some. Look where he goes. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. The circumstances have not changed, but the perspective sure has. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength, not my circumstances, not my sense of peace, not my anything I can honestly comprehend. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places and let's land this with some authority to the choir master with stringed instruments. Bottom line, God has designed for his saints to be shaped by the songs of scripture so that we sing in the rain. And friends, you've got people drowning and they need more than an umbrella. They need a hand up. They need a companion and they need to see a people who know that the brokenness of the world is not the end of the story, but like a woman giving birth. 
life will come from the pain and the problems because we serve a sovereign God who is working all things according to the counsel of his will, who's making all things new as we speak. And he specializes in bringing life from death, bringing strength from struggles, bringing beauty from ashes, from bringing ruins of life to restoration and a whole new reality. Do you know that Jesus, church? Because if you don't, you need to. And if you don't, you will have friends that drown. The saints of God must be shaped by the songs of scripture so that we can live the life and love of God to a world that is looking for life, looking for love, looking for light. The urgency, I feel, gosh, it's so intense, I'm sorry. When the world has no understanding, they need to see a people who say, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean on, not on my own understanding. But I'm going to walk obediently, trusting my shepherd, leaning not on my own understanding. All through scripture, we could unpack this more. I just want to leave you with a few sets of application. First, if you're in the valley of the shadow, if you have more fear than faith, if your heart is hungry for hope, you need to know that Jesus is with you. He went into the valley of the shadow of death for us so that we need not fear even the darkest days and the highest levels of despair. Jesus wants to meet you. Jesus is with you. Jesus loves you. And trust me, your pain seems so real. It seems so great. Your loss is so real. But his promises are so much more real. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Don't, believe, don't let the enemy deceive you. Death is not final for the Christian. Darkness has no power for the light. There is no reason to fear. The Lord our God is with us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. Second, engage honestly with the pain of life. Oh, look, way to go, Bob. Thank you. I mean, I don't just mean your own pain, but the pain of relationships, the difficulty of estrangement. Share gospel hope and love in places that, that you're afraid to. And I know, if you have the Spirit put some on your heart, I know that there are relationships that you're scared to share gospel hope and love. Second, third, Boldly ask questions in humble faith. Can you for just one minute take your tiny little God and throw him away? The God of the universe is big enough for your toughest questions. You know how patient and gracious God is? God didn't crush David for writing the psalm of lament. He gives language for it. God doesn't get rid of Habakkuk. God is big enough for your biggest questions and your biggest problems. Go to him aggressively loudly, let him meet you there. I dare you. Be honest, boldly ask questions and meet others, validate them and help carry their burdens in prayer. Next, be honest with your own need to repent. This is one thing I see all the time is that people won't go into the darkness of your own soul and be honest for where you've looked for hope other than the Lord. We all need accountability and corporate strength. We need Sherpas to help us. 
D, uh, cry out in faith. In the broken, brokenness of this world, engage the brokenness of race relations, of social economic segregation in our city. Uh, embrace the, the inequity realities that we have uh, through lament uh, and allow the hope of the gospel uh, to, I mean, the, the, the reality of, of the data, I, was, oh, I had so much data I was going to pull out on fatherhood, on, on homelessness for families, uh, on depression, uh, and all this. I thought, man, there's so much, something so much greater than just data of how difficult things are. But just hear me say this, cry out in faith, uh, in, a vo- in a voice of faith, in the midst of the brokenness of our world, our city, of ourselves and our family. Finally, lead others with excellence. Define reality. We're in difficult times. This is difficult situations, but offer hope. You know what good leadership is? You want to know what good leadership is? Good leaderships will define reality and offer hope. Here's how we're going to get there. Here's how we're going to And the Christian who's a Sherpa and our spiritual engagement of others meets people in, their, in the reality of brokenness, and they offer hope. And the invitation for the Christian is to be that Sherpa for someone you know. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how Christ uh, is that for us, that he entered into and enters into the brokenness of our hearts, the brokenness of our lives, the how longs, uh, so that we can come to a place of hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for how Habakkuk models a man who was shaped by a song of scripture, Psalm 13, and points to Jesus in that. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would help us unpack the implications of this study in your word and the lives of those that you've put on our heart. I pray that families wouldn't be the same because people actually will boldly proclaim your hope and your love in broken relationships and broken situations and circumstances and dark places. Lord, give strength. I pray that you'd work in mighty ways. Lord, we love you and we thank you that we can praise you and sing songs of praise even in the storms. We ask that you get glory and always say, think, and do in Jesus' name. Amen.